the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. In many churches, and you see often in the epistles, Paul warning against false teaching. We have to be on our guard against false teaching. The only way you're going to know false teaching is if you know the Word of God to be able to distinguish what is true from what is false. That's why it's important for God's people. You need to be equipped in your faith. You need to be reading your Bibles. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on TV evangelists. Don't rely on books you read. You read the Bible and you learn the Bible. You get equipped in the Scriptures. Then you'll be able to discern. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Titus. As believers and followers of Christ, it's absolutely imperative that we guard ourselves from the false teachings and doctrines that attack our faith regularly. So how exactly are we to guard ourselves from such dangerous attacks in the first place? As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, The best defense we have comes by none other than regularly reading the Word of God. In his study, you'll learn that while teachings can be beneficial, there's nothing that can compare to the diligent study of the source of our faith, the Bible. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Titus, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Just a quick uh, review to get us oriented again. This is a letter written by Paul to Titus, the year roughly 64 AD. It would fall chronologically before 1st and 2nd Timothy, even though it follows 2nd Timothy chronologically, it would, it would fall in between 1st and 2nd Timothy. Titus was a Greek believer. Uh, his name in Greek means honorable. He was a convert of Paul's ministry. He was also a traveling companion of Paul's in some of Paul's missionary journey, and he ends up being the pastor-teacher of the church in Crete. Now, Crete is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, It's a relatively decent-sized island, about 170 miles east to west and about 35 miles north to south. And uh, this is where uh, Titus is situated, and and so you're going to see references here in this letter that Paul writes to Titus to the people of Crete, and so that's that's uh, where uh, the the whole story transpires here, the church in Crete. The purpose of this letter that, that Paul wrote here to Titus is to establish order in the church. Titus is part of the pastoral epistles. Remember, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Those three letters are written primarily to pastors, Timothy and Titus. 
in order to help them understand what the church is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to function, what are some of the practical things in order to establish order in God's church. And in these three chapters to Titus, Paul will write in chapter 1, he addresses a few exclusively. We talked about it last time where he talks to elders primarily. And we, and we mentioned that there are 15 qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and another 12 qualifications for elders here in Titus chapter 1 for a total of 27. And so Paul says here to Titus, I want you to be selective. I want you to pick men who are rise to the level of these qualifications that they might give oversight and leadership to, to God's uh, church. And so he addresses a few exclusively in chapter 1. You're going to see here in chapter 2, Paul addresses many specifically. He's going to talk about, he's going to address older men and older women, younger men, younger women. And then chapter 3, he addresses uh, all generally. Now, I want to pick up where we left off. We left off at the end of chapter 1, but just again to get a flavor of, of Paul's kind of tone and what he's talking about. The end of chapter 1, Paul really takes issue with false teachers. He's very passionate about the church. He wants to defend the bride of Christ. So he wants to make sure that these false teachers are rebuked. They are making uh, um, inroads in the church in Crete as is the case in, in many churches. And you see often in the epistles, Paul warning against false teaching. We have to be on our guard against false teaching. The only way you're going to know false teaching is if you know the word of God to be able to distinguish what is true from what is false. That's why it's important for God's people. You need to be equipped in your faith. You need to be reading your Bibles. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on TV evangelists. Don't rely on books you read. You read the Bible and you learn the Bible. You get equipped in the scriptures. Then you'll be able to discern. But Paul, in his passion and his zeal for the church, wants to defend the church from heresy and false teachers. So his tone, I want you to notice how chapter 1 ends, the end of chapter 1, verse 16, when he talks about these false teachers. He says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. What do you really feel, Paul? He's passionate here. Martin Luther once said, quote, a preacher must be both soldier and shepherd. He must nourish, defend, and teach. He must have teeth in his mouth and be able to bite and fight, end quote. So that was Luther's advice. And there's some times, you know, where that might be necessary. And so that's kind of, Paul has kind of a biting tone here at the end of chapter 1 because of these false teachers and the damage that they could do to the body of Christ. Which is why now when you look at chapter 2 with me, he says to Titus, you must, you must, and he's going to tell Titus how Titus needs to be different from these false teachers. In fact, if you have a New King James or uh, an ESV, it's, it, it says, but as for you, that's the way chapter 2 begins, but as for you. In other words, to, to distinguish you from false teachers, he says, all right, now, Titus, let me just tell you, as the pastor of the church in Crete, don't be like those guys, but as for you, he says, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Circle those words in your Bible, sound doctrine, because what he's going to tell us here is that sound doctrine is important, and why? Because the Bible is a book that teaches us not just what to believe, but how to live. This is a book not just about doctrine in terms of what we should believe, how we should think, a good statement of faith. This is also a practical book about how to live out our faith. 
And so what we're going to find here in the next uh, chapter and, and, and through the rest of this letter is this sound practical advice about how to live and how to live comes from sound doctrine. As Christians, if we want to learn how to live properly to please God, what is it required of us as Christians? It begins with sound doctrine. It begins with the Bible. So Paul's saying to Titus, don't, don't live and teach like these false teachers. But as for you, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And he says here in verse 2, he's going to talk to older men. And then in verse 3, he's going to talk to older women. Uh, and then younger women, and then in verse 6, young men. So I'm going I'm to read down through uh, verse 8, and then we're going to come back and unpack it a little bit. So here's what he says in verse 2 through 8. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. He says, likewise, teach the older women... To be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So Paul gives Titus some instructions here about how he is to train, teach, encourage and, and, he, and, he, and he breaks it down into these different demographics within the church. You have older men, you have older women, you have younger women, you have younger men. And so his first word here is, Titus, you need to teach the older men. This is back in verse 2. You need to teach older men first to be temperate. Now that word temperate doesn't mean in relation to alcohol like temperance. It means to be circumspect. It means to be measured, uh, even keeled. And they should also be worthy of respect. And they should be self-controlled. Now, I want you to notice self-controlled seems to be the common theme through all the different uh, groups of people that he's going to address here. He's going to say different things to the different groups, but the one thing he's going to say to all the groups is you're going to have to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, under the control of the Holy Spirit, and sound in faith, and then, and then it's, it's repetitious, sound in love, and sound in endurance. And by the way, when he says sound in faith, in the original Greek language, there's the direct article in front of faith. Sound in the faith. He's not just talking about your faith in Jesus. He's talking about the faith, the faith in, of Christianity. Be, be sound in it. Be sound in the faith. Be sound in love. It's the word agape, the highest supreme kind of love. And be sound in endurance. Uh, endurance there literally means patience under pressure. So the first group that he addresses are the old men. He basically says, don't be grumpy old men. I want you to be men who are temperate, worthy of respect. I want you to be self-controlled. I want you to be men who are sound in uh, faith, sound in love, and sound in endurance. And then he goes on to the older women. And Paul says to Timothy, uh, rather to Titus, likewise, I want you to teach the older women. And this is all relative, by the way. You know, what makes for an older man and what makes for an older woman? 
Um, back in this day, back in this day, over 40 was considered old. Because on average, people died in their 30s. You know, because conditions and, um, you know, uh, illnesses. And, you know, we have the advantages now of, of some modern technology and medicine that prolong our lives. I'm not sure if that's always good or not. But, uh, but so, you know, older is relative, right? Old is relative. But when he addresses the older women here, he, he says to them, I want you to be reverent in the way that you live, not slanderers, and not addicted to much wine, which makes me think, what's, the, what's going on here in this church? I mean, that, that, these, that these Cretan women are wild cussing drunks, I guess, because he's saying to them, I want you to you know, challenge them, be reverent in the way that they live, not, not to be slanderers. And by the way, the Greek word there for slanderers is diabolos. It's where we get the word devil. Do I need to say more there? Just don't... Don't be, you know, devil-tongued. Don't be slanderers. You know, a slanderer is one who speaks evil, malicious things intended to damage or destroy someone. Don't, don't be malicious in the way that you speak. Don't be diabolos. Don't be like devil-tongued or addicted to much wine. Again, you know, how much alcohol is too much? At what point is, is someone legally or technically drunk? It gets messy, so... You know, that, that issue itself needs to be something that, that uh, every person considers carefully in their lives. What role does alcohol have in your life, if any? Because the potential for addiction is there. And, and then once that happens, uh, then your life can spiral out of control. So the warning there, be reverent in the way that you live. Don't be slanderers or addicted to much wine. But to teach what is good. To teach what is good. You have, you have a role. Older ladies have a role of, of teaching. And, and here is specifically how they can use that gift of mentoring or teaching. Next verse, verse 4, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, there's that word again, and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, there's this interesting, you know, ministry um, example here of, Older women teaching younger women. It's very interesting in Paul's instruction to Titus. This is good advice for pastors in general. That he says to Titus, as the pastor, I want you to teach older men, teach the older women. And then he's going to use a different word, encourage the young men. But Titus is to have no role with the younger women. The older women are to have the roles with the younger women. Too many pastors have gotten themselves in trouble because they discipled younger women. The discipleship of younger women is for older women. And and it's very interesting how that's the one group that Paul does not tell Titus to have direct uh, discipleship with. Although, obviously, within the context of the whole congregation... But specific, which is fine, but specifically, you know, orienting to try to equip them or disciple them, do that with the older men, okay, the older women, okay, the younger men, but not the younger women. That's the job of the older women. Now, the first thing that it says here in verse 4 is, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands. This is the only place in all of the Bible that women are commanded to love their husbands. And... That's because it comes more naturally to women to love their husbands. 
But I want to also point out, which, which is a distinguishing factor from the fact that men are commanded in scriptures to love their wives. Because it doesn't come in the same way that it does with women. Women love. Men, <laughs> they're, just, they're just like gruff, you know. They're just like, sometimes they, they have to work. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got to be loving. Yeah, that's right. But, but women, it comes more naturally. So this is the only place in the Bible where women are commanded to love their husbands. And note, please, that even in the word love in this passage, it's not the word agape. It's the word phileo. Agape is the highest, most supreme kind of love. Phileo is the brotherly love, which is basically saying this, ladies, ladies, just at least like him like a friend, would you please? <laughs> just at least like him. I know he's not always that lovable, so, but can you at least like him? Just, you know, treat him like a, a friend at least. So younger women love their husbands and their children. Be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home. Now, look, I know that this, the language here kind of flies in the face of contemporary culture talking about busy at home you know what is all that and subject to their husbands it gets worse in verse the rest of verse five you know listen and i mean this sincerely god has given women a strategic position of influence and assistance to their husbands and children and it is an irreplaceable valuable place and the idea of being subject to your husbands is just the Greek word hupotasso. It means to arrange in an orderly manner. There's, there's an orderly arrangement in the home. It's never, and I have to emphasize this every time we come to passages like this, it's never to suggest that women are second-class citizens or inferior to men. Men are not superior to women. Women are not superior to men. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God, and we stand at the same height at the foot of the cross. But what he's saying is in terms of there to be order in a home, there's a structure. There's a structure that should be put in place and that there should be honor between both husbands and wives. But I just want to mention at this place here because of the cultural impact that women these days feel in regards to home and work and, and juggling that, those responsibilities. And, and I want to say this first, and I want to, I want to be very careful and gentle in saying all this. I, I understand that women um, can work outside the home. Women can make excellent CEOs. They can make excellent managers or, or whatever field or, or position that they might want to hold. And some women obviously have to work outside the home, especially single moms, single women. You have to make a living. But I also don't want women who choose to work at home to be devalued or to be made to feel like they are somehow uh, less than because they are not this successful CEO woman who's working in the corporate field. So there has to be balance to the whole discussion. There is nothing, I think, more, and I say this with all due respect to every woman manager or CEO, but there is nothing more, I think, in in, in the overall economy of the family, there's nothing quite as valuable and to be cherished as a woman who simply wants to love her kids and raise her kids and is content to find that fulfillment in just simply being at home. You know, when Terry and I first got married, uh, she, she had her elementary ed degree, and uh, so she worked for Loudoun County Public Schools. And for a couple of years until we had Tyler. And when, when she got pregnant with Tyler, 
uh, you know, she, she said to me, I really prefer to stay home. And, and I was thankful for that. Although I can tell you, I mean, f- financially put a strain on us, obviously, especially in Loudoun County, you know. Um, and so, but it became my responsibility. It became my responsibility that if my wife wants to come home, I'm going to have to figure out how to try to make ends meet to make up for that. That becomes on me. And I was glad she wanted to come home. Uh, but, you know, so I was a youth pastor starting out in ministry, and Mondays were my day off. And so I, she left Loudoun County Public Schools, and I went to work as a substitute teacher every Monday at Loudoun County Public Schools to get extra income for our family. And we just made that decision, and it was a personal decision. And this has to be a personal decision every family makes. We made that personal decision. We're going to tighten our belts, and we're going to do what we can so that Terry can be home with our kids. And, you know, and I remember things like, you know, we, we didn't have the luxury of buying disposable diapers. For the first few years that our kids were in diapers, it was cloth diapers. And we just made that decision because we, we decided where are we going to budget our money so that we can, you know, make ends meet and have uh, Terry home. And we just made personal decisions like that. I can still to this day smell the bleach of <laughs> diapers. In the, in, in the washing machine, and it was a wonderful thing when, you know, then over the course of time, and, and, you know, you start to get a few raises, and one of the first things we're like, off the budget was like, we're getting rid of the cloth diapers, and we're going to the disposables, and I don't care if it takes 500 years for them to disintegrate on the landfill, we're going disposable diapers, and it was a wonderful treat, you know, for us, but all I'm saying is, I'm just giving you a little, a little glimpse into decisions we made, because I don't want any woman to feel any less appreciated or valued because you desire to be at home to raise your kids and to love your husband and to be a stay-at-home mom if you're able to do that. Because there's, there's nothing quite as valuable and cherished as a mom who gives loving attention and nurturing care to the children whom she bore. And so that should also be respected and that should be valued. And I just... You know, in, in our culture, sometimes we, we, we value things because people are paid. And a stay-at-home mom is one of the most thankless, obviously underpaid jobs uh, that, that we should appreciate and should honor. Because nobody's going to, at the end of the year, say, you changed 1,325 diapers, you're going to get a $10,000 bonus. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. There's no quota, there's nothing, there's no, you know, Christmas bonus at the end of the year. But the reward is immeasurable. And the value is to be appreciated and honored. So when Paul writes here in this language, I don't want you to look at this and think, this is just old-fashioned stuff. This is also to be understood in the context of women to be valued and appreciated who also desire to be at home and to love their husbands and love their kids. And, and that's, that's an honorable and noble, noble thing. Then he moves on, he says similar, and, and when he talks about so that no one will malign the word of God, in general that can be said to anybody because when, when, when Christians don't live in a biblical, godly manner, whatever the case is, it shows contempt for the word of God. That's what he's saying here. If we don't do things in the way we live that honor God and honor the word of God, then we end up maligning the word of God. Then in verse 6, he says, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. There's that word again. In everything, set them an example. He says to Titus, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot 
be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We're so glad you joined us to dig into this book of Titus, a letter from the Apostle Paul to his brother in Christ and fellow missionary for the gospel. Paul's message to Titus is one of encouragement and is meant for you too. Your faith changes how you interact with others and how you live your day-to-day life. Are you letting what you believe influence others and shape your conversations? It's not always easy. Sometimes hiding your faith seems to make more sense in the moment. In the long run, though, you'll be glad you stood up for Christ and promoted the message of hope that everyone desperately needs. There's more to discover in this study of Titus, so we hope you'll tune in again next time. Right now, you can explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app to listen on the go. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. We'll have worship and Bible study, and you'll meet some friendly and welcoming faces. You'll find all the information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to spending time with you again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know